Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. In this episode, I interviewed Doug Rumbold, who recently put out a book about suffering. Its title is Presence Over Pain, How God's Presence is the Answer to Our Pain. I start out with a short explanation of how I see suffering connected to the Great Commission task. Let's jump in. Really excited to be with my friend Doug, who's going to have, I think, some great stuff to share with us when it comes to suffering and how we respond biblically to that. I'm going to set it up and then we'll let Doug kind of introduce himself and share his story. So many of you, probably all of you listening, know of Steve Addison um, and several of the books he's written, but this is in Pioneering Movements, and he tells the story at the end in a chapter called What Would It Take to Stop You? of a missionary doing a training for strategy coordinators, I believe. And at the end of this training, this missionary writes on a whiteboard and he, he asks the questions, what what would of these would stop you from fulfilling your calling? And it's a list of 25 that I'm not going to be labor because it's pretty brutal, but I'll give you a sampling. My spouse decides to call it quits and go home. My financial support base is cut by 25%. Uh, my sending agency collapse. I'm publicly discovered in sin and dismissed by my agency. One of my children is discovered to have leukemia. One of my children dies. Um, my spouse's life will be threatened if I continue this ministry. The list goes on and on. Like I said, there's 25. So as I, I ask you, Doug, to kind of introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about your story, I just wanted to set up why I think in my mind, for a lot of people listening, the topic of suffering is really important because it's going to happen, an element where even Satan will come after those that are doing the Lord's work. And that just that, that those pages were kind of a sobering reminder of that, even as I read your book. So go ahead and tell us about yourself and then even the, the genesis of the book, and then we'll get into some other stuff from there. I am pastor of counseling and discipleship uh, here at Northfield in Tremont. I, I wrote a book recently uh, called Presence Over Pain, How God's uh, Presence is the Answer to Our Pain. And I, I think the connection more than anything is that I, I believe firmly that we're all missionaries, that we are people who have an identity f- given from God and a calling um, that he's asking us to fill. And, and primarily that's built around this mm-hmm. Matthew 28 concept and mm-hmm. um, believe firmly in that. So when I start to think about this purpose uh, of, of suffering in order to have the image of God formed in us, like Paul talks about in Philippians, um, I think part of our mission, uh, it doesn't have to be overseas in the sending agency cutting us off or being found in public sin. It could be, uh, I'm working as a factory worker and I've, I've, uh, I've come under intense scrutiny because I'm doing a poor job and behind the scenes, mm-hmm. it's uh, a child in my home who has cancer and I can't manage the stress. And I'm finding God is absent or has left the building. And so mm-hmm. um, the the idea of God's presence being the only answer to our pain works just as well for frontier missions as it does for um, domestic missions. Mm-hmm. Um, the book really itself was born out of part of our own journey uh, of walking through hardship and suffering that needed answers. So why don't you just tell us that story? Because I think it's important or a random person that's never heard your name or, or lovely voice before. Um, well, just tell us your story, because I know we actually just got to know each other right when this all went down. That kind of was the beginning of this. And just, just to kind of help help people understand you're coming from a place of understanding, not a place of, um, uh, yeah, you have some great uh, theology in the book, but you're not coming at it from a, a temple speaking down. You just guys have lived a lot. So 
Yeah. So my wife and I got married in 04. My, I have three children, and my three children are, are three of 35 on my side. So it's like you pre-medicate for those family get-togethers. They're just uh, they're chaotic. They're crazy. And uh, we've ever since I've been young, our family, my, my side of the family, has really experienced a lot of hardship, whether it's uh, the loss of my brother to a tragic car accident or my sister who passed from uh, leukemia. Um, and then fast forwarding, what was really the genesis of the book, um, was my daughter's diagnosis with cancer at the age of five. And so, um, it was December 30th, 2010. Uh, we, my wife actually had had uh, a couple of gallbladder attacks and, um, some stones. And we discovered this in the middle of the homeschooling season and decided at the semester, uh, I decided Jada was our uh, second child at the time. Our third was uh, actually in Jessica and <laughs> was about two weeks from being born. So Jessica was uh, full term and struggling through life. And uh, with the gallbladder attack on top of that, we decided it was time to put Jada in school. And so quick physical from a doctor from our church palpating around and found a, a tumor that ended up being um, a clear cell sarcoma of the kidney is the type of cancer stage two. And, um, it was about the size of football. It was like two and a half pounds. And, um, Jada was five years old at the time. Um, and the, the story is told, uh, in, in the book in detail, so you can understand more about mm-hmm. it. But overall, the timeline is really what always captures me when I say it out loud again. I'm like, yeah, that was a lot. Um, <laughs> there was, uh, so December 30th, 2010, she was diagnosed. We took her home and spent the night with her in between Jess and I. And the next day, went back to the hospital. And then January 2nd is my wife and I's anniversary. And then January 3rd, Jada had the surgery. And then January 9th, my wife had her birthday. And then January 10th, we received the pathology back. Originally, the diagnosis was that it was a Wilms tumor, which is treatable and 96% cure rate. We discovered after pathology that it was actually clear cell sarcoma and much more rare uh, not as great of a a prognosis. So uh, our hearts were crushed and um, we were in tears through the evening. Um, And then there was a blizzard and my wife started labor (laughs) at four in the morning. And uh, by six 30, she had a child. That's a whole story in and of itself. Um, Jada was upset because she wanted to be able to see her brother. And Mm -hmm. we were scheduled to go back for scans the next morning. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up, um, Jessica, by God's grace, had the baby very quickly. So Jada got to hold her brother. Mm -hmm. And then Jada and I went back to the hospital and were there for a while. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think Pierce, uh, her her youngest brother then, was nameless for about seven or eight days because I I wasn't home for Mm -hmm. a while there. So. Wow. That's the timeline. Then the 13th of January is when she started treatment with radiation and chemotherapy. Doug and I were both going to write a book, and he actually finished his. I'm still working on mine. <laughs> but I remember reading early on, um, just a few years ago, even the early chapter, and then reread it as we were getting ready for this. And just like, I can I can hardly read that, just that opening story, man. So I think um, I'm glad to see how God's using this, both in, in Jada's life and even in your life, and now able to help others. I wanted to just jump and ask, because we kind of hinted at it unintentionally. I hinted at it in that intro. Um, you just lay out really clearly, where does suffering come from? And I feel like that's important to acknowledge kind of some of those areas, just as maybe to dive into some of your content in the book. Yeah. So one of the things that I do in the book is I outline this idea that there are, and I, and I could be wrong, I'm no theologian by trade, but I think there is there are three forms of suffering that you see in scripture. Uh, it's the suffering 
that God allows in his sovereignty. There's the suffering that my sin brings because of consequence. And then there's uh, the suffering that um, comes as a result of my faith with persecution. Hmm. And uh, I don't think that you'll find too many other categories besides that. Um, But if I were to say, like, where does suffering come from? I would think of Job um, because here's Job who nothing happened to that he deserved suffering per Mm -hmm. se. Uh, but in Job 2.10, um, his wife, in the most unhelpful statement of all time, is like, hey, it's about time for you to curse God and die. Right. And, and if I'm Job, I'm like, thank you. I, I mean, was looking for support, but, but not sure that's what I got. But anyway, he uh, he says something. I think it's in Job 2.10 where he says um, something to the effect of, should we only take the blessing from God and not the trouble as well? Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think if we have a robust theology of who God really and truly is. And we would say, yes, God knows all things. If God knows all things, then it would be kind of impossible for him to not know that suffering is coming or going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into it, but the why would a good God allow suffering and all mm-hmm. sorts of things um, is really a hard space to be because essentially people get to this place where suffering flips you upside down and turns you backwards and it essentially makes you question the existence, the love, or the nurture of God himself. And that's really what I approach more than anything. I, I wish I had an answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I could say, oh, well, definitely this is where suffering comes from. I think sin entered the world uh, by choice of Adam and Eve. And then as a result, there is this sovereign, loving rule of God that permits suffering. And even spiritual and demonic things that come with that. Mm-hmm. that are very challenging that I think are hard to talk about. I don't answer the that question as much as how do we process what's going on. I tend to be a little bit more of a realist when someone says to me, you know, I, if I just knew why my dad got cancer, and then I always push back with a real simple like, well, okay, if if your dad got cancer, but you knew why, what does that change? Mm-hmm. Like, does the knowledge of that information then give you some leg up in how you're handling it? and how you're processing it? Or does it just make you a little bit less okay with a God who would allow something like that? Just pointing to the sovereignty of God. And I was going to ask, because I love how you talked about just looking to Christ. So one of the things that I do in the book is I obviously, I believe that God's presence is the answer to our pain, meaning, especially in the West. Mm-hmm. Now, frontier missions people, I think, understand suffering in a, in a really great way. Mm. Um, and I think... Here in the West, we've gotten so used to comfort. Mm. If I want something in two days, click buy now. If I, you know, it's anything that we want pretty much at our fingertips. And the expedited process has brought us to a place where we've not really cultivated an awareness of the presence of God in the present moment. Um, We want it for big decisions. We want it for really hard times. Mm -hmm. But like in the in-between, I'm not cultivating much of anything beyond a 10-second TikTok video. And my mind, my mind then is being curated to believe that I can have a problem introduced, a solution offered, and an amicable, positive, you know, movement forward all in 10 to 30 seconds. And I'm like, life just doesn't play out that way. In fact, Jesus in in John 16, you know, where the longest treatise on the, the ministry of the role of the spirit says, hey, look, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Mm. It's like he, he promises trouble. And that term trouble, I actually love it. It's like in this world, you'll have trembling. Have you ever thought about that? Mm-hmm. Like in this world, you're going to have like such difficult trembling as to, wow. And so in the, in the book, what I say is there are 
ways that God communicates his presence to us in that form of suffering. Mm-hmm. So if, if I am suffering because my, in my case, my child got cancer and I had to walk through that. If I were to repent, that wouldn't make much sense because God didn't smite my daughter with some mm-hmm. cancer as though it were punitive. Right. Um, and so repentance is not the mode to experience his presence, mm-hmm. you know? And however, if I'm sinning, if I'm in adultery and I'm caught, the idea of a godly sorrow, look what I did to you, God, look what I've done to my wife, look what I've done to my family, then the mode of how God communicates his presence mm-hmm. to me comes through repentance and return. And so I think the the three examples kind of in the book that I give are, I used Christ as our example, I use community as our support, mm-hmm. and I use confession, confession as like a declaration for what we're speaking over our lives. So you could look at it in terms of we we view confession as primarily a negative thing. I did something wrong. Now I need to confess. Mm-hmm. And that's true. But I think the other aspect is, biblically speaking, confession means to speak in agreement with. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the phrase that I've been using that's really resonated with me these last number of years is just this simple true versus truest. Mm-hmm. Like, is it true that, in my case, my daughter has cancer and my wife has challenges? Like, yeah. For sure. That's totally true. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, is that the truest thing? Is that the most defining aspect of who I am? And the answer would be no. Mm-hmm. Not if I am a child of the king. For right. sure. That's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where I where I head to the example of of Christ. Here's Christ who consistently, when tempted to sin in, in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, says, mm-hmm. hey, it is written. Like, I'm going to come against that with the revealed will of God, mm-hmm. and I'm going to stay in line with his will. I'm going to confess. I'm going to declare over my life what is true of me. Right. Is it true that I could command these angels concerning me? Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, is that the best thing to do? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. Not, not according to God's plan. Mm-hmm. And so you see just the example of Christ. And then the idea of community centered around us is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I could say it a thousand times, but just to return to the story, of, uh, of Jada and I, every time I tell it, I, I am almost moved to tears, even still, and it's been a number of years. I can remember coming home, opening an envelope from the hospital, and seeing a cost for the first four hours of surgery, and, and, a, and about croaking. Like, I, I don't even know that I'll make that much money in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then thinking, oh my goodness, our treatment cycle is every three weeks, and I'm inpatient, for seven of those days. And then the following two weeks were inpatient for three out of the, out of the seven days. And, um, how am I going to work? Like, what's that going to look like? Oh, and by the way, you have a two year old and a newborn infant. And I was about ready to explode. And I remember the elders of our church and I'm still here. It's the same church I've been at this whole time. They met with me probably a few days after Jada's diagnosis. And I can remember sitting at our kitchen table and one of them says, can you explain the process? And I, you know, I explained the whole treatment cycle. I said, okay, well, we're going to pray about how to best move forward, um, and we'll get back to you in a few days. And the next day, I get a phone call. Hey, Doug, we just want to let you know we're going to give you a five-month paid leave. Don't worry at all about work. What we'd like you to do is two things. Number one, send an email to the small group leaders that are part of your youth ministry and tell them that they're taking over, (laughs) or actually ask them. And then uh, the second thing that we'd like you to do is just one time during Jada's treatment, we would love for you to preach a sermon about what God's teaching you. Does that feel reasonable? I'm like, uh, <laughs> wow. what place of employment does that? Right. And so the community became just incredible. Family, same type of thing, over and over again, sacrificing mm-hmm. like crazy. 
Yeah, I love how you walked us through those. What Walk us through a little bit more then, because you're talking about confession and great story on community. What about um, just the Christ aspect? Sounds like the Bible answer. You just remember Jesus in Sunday school and you're good. But how did that either personally or how does that bear out when you're when there is just you're in suffering? I think probably the hallmark passage for me when I think about Jesus and suffering is I think of the garden. Hmm. And, and I think... Uh, Jesus displayed such a vulnerability. But for me, the example of Jesus in suffering is this. He knew what was coming. Mm -hmm. Like, totally knew what was coming. And then when I think about how he handled the Garden of Gethsemane, he grabs his three closest. He doesn't grab all 12, Mm -hmm. but he grabs his three closest. And he he walks to the Garden, and he says, look, I'm going to go over here and pray, and I need you to intercede for me. So the the king of all the universe is Mm -hmm. telling his minions, like, hey, I, I need you to do for me what I do for you. Right. And he invites them into that deep place of vulnerability. And what really gets me is they fail miserably. Now, I, it's easy to say that, but I'm like, they've been up all night. They've right. walked through like all sorts of stuff. And it says that they were um, weary from grief. So they knew now that what was going to happen to Jesus was going to happen. Mm-hmm. They had some inkling. And so when they get to the garden, they're like, are you kidding me? You're going to keep us a hundred yards away while you pray. And here's Jesus sweating drops of blood and, and the whole bit. And they're still it, not just once, but like twice they fail miserably. Mm-hmm. And so I think the example of Jesus is like, is suffering isolating for sure. Will you be misunderstood for sure? Will some people abandon you for sure? Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean that you ought not to invite people in? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus in this endeavor of the establishment and maintenance of his church is like, I'm going to hand it to humans. Mm-hmm. And to me, that still, it, it blows my mind. But the way that Jesus suffered then was mm-hmm. um, the prayer that he has in the garden. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want it. Mm-hmm. And he still says, I'll do what you want. Mm-hmm. Like your will matters more than mine. So when I look at my own suffering, it makes me think, okay, is it, you know, super unpleasant? Often, mm-hmm. yeah, I think anybody would would point to that. Who wants to walk through the loss of a father or the loss of a job or mm-hmm. a strained relationship? But how, how did Jesus handle those things? I think of the intense ministry periods and then the retreat to pray mm-hmm. in silence and solitude. And uh, I see someone who was more concerned about the obedience to his father and the formation of those around him. I've been spending a little time in the epistles, and I was just thinking of at the end of Second Timothy specifically. And I feel like Paul, there's some of what Paul is writing to Timothy that echo actually echoes some of what you just said of like people involved in his life, some people that even backstabbed him, um, but still not shutting the door on all community. Like he's still reaching out to Timothy. He's talking about others. So that just kind of came to mind as you were sharing. Well, don't you think that kind of goes with some of the quote church hurt that people have where mm-hmm. there's a little bit of like, Oh, I was hurt by somebody in the church. And so I, you know, basically that's why I'm not a believer anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just over here going, well, I'm not so sure that the church was founded on a person as much as it was founded on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is both God and man. Yeah. And so perhaps you anchored your faith to the wrong person. Like <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. No, it's the reality that people will hurt. Um, others. Yeah. And even in that story, I read that, recently too that he actually calls out peter which is pretty in one of the i forget which which gospel now he literally because he specifically calls out peter as not having stayed awake because like oh remember you were <laughs> yes. not gonna deny me and now you can't even stay awake so 
I'd love to kind of land in a couple of places. One would be somebody that's listening right now. Um, and they're just like in it right now, right? They're just in the thick of the, the crap to say. And what would you just, where do you, as you even do counseling or as you've written this book, where do you point people? It's in that, the thick of the moment. There's a thick of the moment where I think people are like, okay, uh, I think my life is so over the top right now that I can't even focus. I feel like God is unloving. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even want to turn on worship music. I can't even read the Bible. Mm-hmm. One of the things about my my heart in general is, uh, and, and you and I have talked about this, is desire versus capacity. I always have a desire to help people, but not always the capacity. Right. And so when someone gets into that space where they're kind of plucking apart or the the current trend is more of a deconstruction, mm-hmm. um, they're going to deconstruct the, the, the nature of God and, and piece it apart to whether it's loving that they're experiencing a particular thing, mm-hmm. all the while missing, um, they're going to shake their fists in anger at heaven instead of understanding what blessings come by way of, of difficulty, mm-hmm. um, of pain. And I think uh, in my book, I, I mentioned this, but um, my wife in many ways uh, carries um, a challenge, health perspective, and um, she does a tremendous job of just anchoring herself in the Lord. Mm. And so when somebody is like in the thick of it, I think probably the biggest thing for me is just this idea of like, can I be in the thick of it with you? Mm -hmm. So if, if someone right now is like, I'm in the thick of it and I can't even open my Bible. Okay. Can you spend time with a friend? Mm -hmm. Is there, is there someone for whom, you know, it's not judgment. It's not, it's just like an arm around. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just like, I don't really need to speak words. Yeah. I just need to be present with you in the moment. And I think that's that's the thing that communicates the Lord's love the most is mm. the the non-urgency to change you. Yeah. And I, I think that's critical because when I, when I consider God, and we've talked about this a, a hundred times, but God is eternal, mm-hmm. which means for him, there's no urgency, mm. right? Like, in, and I mean that in, in the terms of like, I'm experiencing a hardship. I want to be over it now because it's so hard and mm-hmm. it's so, and God's like, well, I've been existing for all of time, even before time. And so for, for me, I'm, it's okay that we're going to sit in this for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So like if somebody loses a loved one and they're deeply sad and it's been like three weeks and they're still deeply sad, I think one of the most unhelpful things for those of us in the church mm-hmm. is to be like, Hey, Come on, get your stuff together. It's time to move on. Right. And I'm over here going, no, no, no. I think what God actually wants us to do is to say, um, can you tell me a memory of your loved one? Mm-hmm. Can I, I just want to laugh with you. Like, can you tell me one of the funniest memories you have? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, how is that productive? That's going to spin them right back out. I'm like, no, that's actually going to show them mm-hmm. Jesus. When Jesus went to the home of Lazarus, I mean, he knows he's going to raise him, Right. But he takes the time to identify with the sisters. He takes the time to weep. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Like he takes the time to weep and then he does the work. Mm-hmm. And I think the weeping part is really what struck people mm-hmm. because it says right after that in John 11, you can see this. It actually says, see how he loved him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so there's just this piece of like, are you in the thick of it? Is there someone who can sit with you? Mm-hmm. Is there someone who can just sit and be there? Now, if you're in the thick of it, I think some of the things that are critical, probably three things that I would say, uh, number one is God can handle your questions. He's not afraid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he doesn't sit back and go, oh, no. Now, there might not always be the answers that you want, um, but God can handle them. Right. And then pain is supposed to hurt. 
Like mm-hmm. if, if we can acknowledge pain will hurt and I'm not going to rush you through that pain, I'm just going to be present with you before, during, and after. Mm-hmm. If I can understand those things, that's going to be helpful. And then the final aspect that I would point to is just this idea that God's mercies will be new. Mm-hmm. Um, lamentations, you know, here's Jeremiah, 30 years of ministry with literally zero fruit and probably had some of the most bizarre ministry assignments we've heard. And in Lamentations 3, he's like, I remember the wormwood and the gall, the difficulty of it all. And he's saying mm-hmm. very poetically, and then he's like, but the mercies of God are new every morning. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason the mercies of God are new every morning is because I have new and varied struggles that require an innovative God. Mm-hmm. And so if, if there's an innovative God who's going to find new and varied ways to meet me with his mercies, mm-hmm. um, I would just say, be on the lookout. If you're in the middle of mm-hmm. the thick of the suffering right now, be on the lookout for how his, his mercies are new every morning. It's going to be helpful. Mm. How did you say that? How look for something mm. to sit with you. But then I would ask anybody listening. We probably all know somebody mm-hmm. generally speaking, maybe not a hundred percent. Normally we know somebody that's actually suffering more than we are in a certain, maybe in an area mm-hmm. or maybe you're in a good spot. So have that, do we have that attitude of being somebody that sits with someone or do we, my tendency try to come in with like the rescue answer and um, just like, well, it's just, you just read your Bible more and things are going to be okay. Like, Mm -hmm. um, so just a challenge for all of us to actually be the type of people that look to like sit with others and just Mm -hmm. hear them out. Well, and I think that, one of the ways that you sit with somebody and hear them out, like you said, is there, is there a rescue answer? Do you, do you really think it's helpful for the person whose parent just died tragically? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's really helpful to say, I was, I've been thinking about why God would allow that. I'm like, actually, probably the worst thing you could say at this moment. Um, it's, it's probably better that you just sit with them. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I, one of the most effective things I think is mm-hmm. just this really simple, as you're talking with someone, you see them, they're in grief or sorrow or hardship. Mm-hmm. And you just say something like, I can see that you're bearing a lot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, would you mind if I just put my arm around you and prayed over you? Would that be all right? Mm-hmm. I think I can think of one time in my 44 years of existence that someone has declined personal mm-hmm. prayer. Um, how can people connect with you and the mm-hmm. book? You can find me personally on Facebook. But I also have a Facebook page for the book. It's just uh, Presence Over Pain, all one word. Okay. You'll be able to find it there with updates. Uh and then currently there's a website being worked on that will have all this information, contact info, you know, ministry or services that you can uh, ask about or whatever. Um, and that's just going to be DougRumble.com. It's- is the book out yet or no? The date, I think it's March 3rd, is like when it goes live. So if you order it on Amazon on March 3rd, I th- and you can get it on uh, Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, um, cool. or, or at Walmart as well. Yeah, so I guess I always like to give people kind of the last word. Um just on the whole topic of suffering that we, we tackled, maybe it's just even the book that you brought together. What would you say is kind of on your heart? Anything last challenges to share? One of the first things that I, I love this question, like how, how does this relate to missions? I Particularly your podcast. Like I, I think of the, the listeners to this podcast, whether it's local missions, domestic missions, mm-hmm. like you know United States or whether it's global. First of all, my first thoughts are just thank you. Uh, scripture is very clear that um, beautiful are the feet of those who bear good news. Mm. So um, every one of us gets to do that. But for your listeners who are doing that, maybe in a challenging context, I just want to say a special thank you mm. because uh, the kingdom of God will be made up of a kaleidoscope of skin color cultures. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I mm-hmm. think that's a yeah beautiful picture of the gospel. But I think if I were to point to 
one like encouragement. I, this is one of the greatest issues. I think pain or suffering across the board will either wreck you or make you. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem is that in times of ease, if you look at like Deuteronomy 8, there's this, okay, we've been delivered from 430 years of systematic oppression and slavery, mm-hmm. and now you're going to be given the promised land. You're going to be delivered through the Red Sea, and you're about to go into the promised land, but I want you to be careful because when you get there, you're going to be tempted to forget. Mm-hmm. And so I think the real labor is when times are good, it's important to do the foundational work. Mm-hmm. It's important to say, how do I pursue the presence of God even when things are great? Mm-hmm. And I think there's always room for repentance and return. And when you get to this place of like a deep gratitude for the mercies of God, you have like this Psalm, I think it's like Psalm 130. It says, um, if you were to count iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Right? Mm-hmm. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And I love that. But he ends or gets toward the end of the Psalm. He actually says, uh, with you, there is plentiful redemption, I think is what the ESV says. Mm-hmm. I love that picture of like, our God is so lavish mm-hmm. that um, he's asking us to get good at remembering what we were mm-hmm. so that we know what we are, so that we can be anticipating what we will be in mm-hmm. him. And I think we it's too easy to miss that. But missions across the board, that's what you're doing. You're helping people remember what they were mm-hmm. so that they can consider who they are now as Christ and then what they will be. When he, when he says, okay, I'm going to wipe in Revelation 21, every tear from every eye, no longer will there be crying, suffering, or pain. Uh, but the bridge to that reality is like, wait a minute, my life stinks right now. Yeah. How, how can you say, well, it's his presence, mm-hmm. right? What does Psalm 1611 say? This, you know, in your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. But like read the first 10 verses of Psalm 16. And it's like abject suffering, failure, mm-hmm. difficulty. And the psalmist is like, in your presence is fullness of joy. Like, right. Is this guy bipolar? No, this guy's biblical. And I think that's critical for us to grasp. To connect with Doug and the book, you can check out the show notes at ontheroad.link. That's ontheroad.link. In case you were wondering, this was the first episode I've ever recorded in person, but sadly it was not in a running vehicle. This is Feeney. Thanks for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you and your church to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.